Hello all you kings, queens, rogues, paladins, wizards, bards, rogues, rangers, clerics, and those in between, and welcome to episode 4 of the Busted Limes podcast. I'm your host, Parish Maharaj, and for this episode, we're going to focus on high fantasy. Yes, although we are limiting ourselves to one genre, we are not limiting ourselves to one medium. Our conversation is going to run the gauntlet from video games to movies all the way to tabletop RPG. We'll be starting with my reactions upon playing Skyrim for the first time, since its release in 2011, transition into a discussion on the granddaddy of high fantasy Lord of the Rings, which will include a conversation of both its movies and its books, and we close out on some Dungeons and Dragons stories from the very own campaign that we'd recently wrapped up, and our excitement for the next campaign, along with a brief lamentation on our own little shortcomings when it comes to how little high fantasy we've actually read. So, go ahead and put on your robe and wizard hat and roll initiative, and let's begin. Okay, so, gonna go ahead and name the fantastical elephant in the room. You, I believe, have finally started playing Skyrim after about ten years since it came out? <laughs> Has it really been that long? Ten or nine years, yeah, it came out in 2011. Oh my god, oh, yeah, yeah. nine yeah, so about nine years. Oh yeah, well, yeah. well, you know, and it's get get it get it while it's twenty bucks on P- PSN instead of sixty bucks. Yeah, that's the other thing. You didn't get it on PC. I honestly don't actually know <laughs> PS4 has mod support. So yeah, have fun with that. Actually, PS4 actually it does have mod support. So oh cool, yeah, yay. Don't know if any mods on there are good, but uh, anyway, enough of my opinions on Skyrim. We'll get to that in a second. First, just want to hear your first impressions on it. Okay, so of course I'd known about Skyrim from all of the memes that have permeated the internet throughout the years. Like, I, I remember when Arrow to the Knee was a thing. Do you remember that? Oh, of course I remember that. I was in, Dude, I was in high school when it came out for the first time. If it was a meme back then, I remember it. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so how much did you actually know going into it? Like, because you had never played it. So, like, had you watched gameplay of it at all? Did you know, like, what, what you were in for going into it? Yeah, a, a little bit. Like, I saw a couple gameplay videos on it. It just seemed like a first-person, like, dungeon-crawling kind of thing. And then um, I heard most of it um, were described as, well, when I was playing Far Cry, there was a, a sub-meme going around that was just saying that Far Cry was um, basically Skyrim with guns. And I love the Far Cry franchise. Yeah, well, that probably came from some shitty IGN v- review, redundant I know, that had the brilliant idea to describe Fallout as Skyrim with guns. Because, you know, comparing two Bethesda games to each other is just the height of critical thinking, which is what IGN is known for. (laughs) But yeah, some of the things that I knew going in was that it was a high fantasy RPG. Um, You could play as different races. You go basically dungeon crawl. There are dragons. And the opening cutscene is... Well, I don't know. That kind of was that. That wasn't always a meme. It kind of just recently became a meme, didn't it? The yeah, that only became scene. a meme recently. Yeah, that kind of spawned out of just Bethesda constantly re-releasing Skyrim and like the joke about how they're trying, just their entire business model is trying to get people to repurchase Skyrim on different platforms, and then it became the meme of like anytime you buy a new game, surprise, you've actually just been forced to rebuy Skyrim again. <laughs> ah, okay. So that's where that came from. So, actually, I have some thoughts about that opening cutscene. It kind of sucks. 
I mean, you have to keep in mind that it was great for the time. Like, this came out 10 years ago, and at the, like, and the thing you have to understand is, like, Skyrim didn't come out and was immediately the best thing ever. It's a Bethesda game. It came out and it was a buggy piece of shit, and then people realized how well you could mod it, and that if you could get through, you know, the graphical eras, it's a really fun role-playing dungeon crawling game oh yeah which even, even, yeah, i'm playing but, without mods right now but it is oh yeah yeah no you have to play without mods first just so you can appreciate the mods even more when you get to it but yeah so just take me through your yeah just take me through your first impressions of like the opening part of the game because like it's so rare to be able to talk to somebody with a fresh perspective on a game that came out so long ago huh so it's basically like me the cowboy bebop all over again huh oh yeah basically <laughs> the cowboy bebop episode <laughs> my how the turn tables <laughs> Oh, of course, when I say when the opening cutscene kind of sucks, what I mean is like the just the part where you're in the cart, because that's just one of the clumsiest exposition dumps that I've ever seen. It's like, ah, oh, yes, quiet there, you the you sir from this city or this town, and then after I don't know how long of that conversation, but once you pick your race and you escape your execution, running from the dragon, that's where. I, I I first had the thought to myself I was okay th- I could see the I could see this appeal the, what the appeal is now. I mean you have to understand there's a reason that that opening scene is so like memed. It's why it's so easy for that to be a meme as well. Like there's a, also a reason that some of the most popular mods for Skyrim are about letting you bypass the opening part of the game. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. But again, we'll get to that later. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. So. Play- for to start off, I well, I'm playing as a Khajiit right now, but I figured it was between that or the lizard people. What's the lizard race called again? Argonians. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. That was gonna be my second choice, but I ended up going with the Khajiit because cat people are funny. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that's the level of thought that I put into picking my race in Skyrim. <laughs> you put more thought into it than middle high school me did which was i chose the nord because i wanted to play as a human because i'm that guy in fantasy games ah i see (laughs) eventually i ended up specializing in um one-handed weapons and incidentally enough i've been playing i actually haven't been playing the game in uh in first person i've been playing it in third person occasionally switching to first person if i need to like pick up stuff yeah yeah i mean that's one of those things where it's like Skyrim, you know, you spend so much time making your character, it feels like a waste to play in first-person mode. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I do at this point mostly play in third-person, but I most of the time when I initially started playing, I did mostly play in third-person just so I could see my character. Right, until eventually you get to the point where you're wearing horribly mismatched armor and you look ugly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so just, yeah, just... What all have you done in the game? What are your impressions of all the things you've done so far? Like, I'm going to tone back on me talking about, oh, yeah, when I did it, I did this, 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 and the other thing. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. So, yeah, once I leveled up and stuff, it was, it, I really got, I really dig it. I really enjoy it. Because what, I, right now I have, a, I specialize in restoration magic and, of course, my one-handed weapons. And I, I'm at the point now where dragons no longer scare me. Or giants, or mammoths, or saber-toothed cats, and um, oh man, my favorite partner is uh the vampire lady. I forgot her name. Some something. Oh, Serana. Serana. Sor- yes. Sor- well, I mean, that's a no-brainer. She's voiced by Laura Bailey, so. Oh, she is. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
did not know that that's amazing yeah but yeah she's uh, what i love best about her is that um she has her projectile attack where she fires ice crystals at enemies and right. um it on kill on killing shots they cause them to ragdoll and fly off into the into the ether yes <laughs> oh icicle spear is one of the best spells just for that reason alone <laughs> oh my god it really is and that's another thing yeah. though even dying as it because the ragdoll physics is, is something that never gets old for me like i never get nope. frustrated if, no matter how many times i die especially when you die by a giant's hand and they knock you like 500 feet in the air nope once again, unfortunately interrupting you, the best thing about that is that is one of, like, the earliest examples that, like, I knew of, of the, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Like, that was a bug that they patched out, and people got pissed at Bethesda for patching it out, so they put it back in the game. Oh, of course. that's That was the right decision, to put it back. <laughs> and let's see, um, I finally understand the memes that are, that describe how wonky the horses are but basically how they allow you to just basically break through the textures and just walk upside a mountain which is hilarious yeah yeah skyrim horses don't give a shit <laughs> to say the least and uh one thing that uh did take a while for me to get the hang of though was lock picking which seems to be a common thing among yeah lock picking is far from the easiest part of the game right now i'm just working on figuring out how to get married <laughs> Like I, I already have the neck. I already have the necklace that suppose that yeah. you're supposed to wear in order for someone to like profess your love to you. But I haven't actually g gone out and and actually met anyone. Yet. God, listen to me. This is basically my real my real dating life. Good lord. Yeah, but yeah. So just a heads up: the way that marriage works, usually any NPC that is marriageable is going to have like one or two objectives or quests that you have to do for them in order for them to be an option. So like it'll depend on like which who you're going for. Hmm. Okay. And, um, yeah, m most of my time has just been doing what I do, just doing what yeah. you're supposed to do, just wander around and do quests. Yeah. So, and... like, just tell me about, like, some crazy, like, shit that's happened to you that you've been playing, just, like, walking around finding stuff, because that's the thing. I wish I could experience Skyrim again, and one of the reasons why I kept going back to it, and people keep going back to it, is because no matter how many times you play it, it is so hard. No one can really say that they've 100% of Skyrim, because every time I've played the game, I found something new. Oh my god. Yeah, dude, I've, I'm finding, I feel like I've found, I've already gotten the achievement for like discovering a hundred places and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's only like, that's not even half of all the places that I could go here. This is incredible. Yeah. No wonder they had to take so many shortcuts in other places because this game is just really fucking big. Right? And yeah. yeah. So like, and uh, oh my, so crazy thing that happened. Full, full on Skyrim stories, let's go. Yeah. Okay. Hell yes. Okay. So, yeah. I'm facing this one dragon, right, with Serana, right? Right. And yeah. I try. Of course, I I draw my I draw my bow and arrow, and I try to just shoot him, just shoot her down. This is before I right. had dragon rend. Right. This damn thing it flies off. So I thought, wait, the dragons don't usually do that. They usually just uh, stay on your ass and keep breathing, breath attacking you. Yeah. Turns out yeah. it was going after my horse. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> having formed an emotional attachment to my horse, I start yelling and screaming at the freaking. I actually yell, um, "Run like the wind, bullseye!" at my horse in order to get it away. But nope, the horse uh, just stood there and started attacking the started attacking the dragon, and eventually we took it down. Surprisingly, the horse survived. <laughs> 
yeah, the good thing about Skyrim horses being so goddamn stupid is it's relatively difficult to kill them with anything other than fall damage. Oh, that actually reminds me. Um, this is a different horse. Um, I was ju- I was testing the indestructibility of the horses, and right, I thought, you know what? It's a vi- it's a video game. If I land in water, I'll be fine. <laughs> it it was not fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was not of, of all the places where they decide to input realism they they chose to death while hitting water <laughs> for a yeah. horse anyway I, w- I was completely fine of course yeah gravity isn't a thing but drowning if you're underwater is uh-huh sure actually is. wait no i don't even think you can drown unless you go like way too deep in the water I, actually you, yeah you can drown you just but yeah. you have to stay a long time under the water yeah yeah. So what are your thoughts on like the quests? Like you said you have Dragon Red now, so I'm assuming you've spent a decent amount of time on the main quest line, but like just in general, like the different like stuff you've done, like the NPCs you've run into, like what have been your impressions of that? Honestly, I really enjoy how each one of them has their own unique personalities, even if they have the same canned dialogue, but it's st- it's still I still enjoyed the character interactions are really the things that I enjoy the most, especially the branching uh, dial. I think they call it dialogue trees. That's what they call them. Yeah, like branching dialogue, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, especially since my favorite one is um, I had to do one quest where I had to basically collect uh gold from different um from different people, like for different barkeeps. So yeah. there was this one there's this one where she wouldn't budge no matter how much I talked to her so I just I stole her prize statue and threatened to throw it down a well and then and that's what uh, that's what caused her to finally relent and pay up. <laughs> and see this is why I like Skyrim. I've never done that quest. I just learned something <laughs> new about the game from talking to you playing it for the first time. Cuz um the, I have the special edition. It comes with some of the DLC. So I think I think it may be may have yeah. been a DLC quest but I'm not sure. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only got the DLC for until like way after I actually got the game for the first time. Yeah, that's usually the best way to go. Oh, of course, the yeah, the I finally understood the origin between uh well, but origin between the origin of the K- Khajiit has wares if you have coin. Oh yeah. Yeah. All is that all these things that I saw on the internet just start making sense the more I play through it. Right? Mhm. And surprisingly, I've only re- heard one arrow in the knee quote since i started playing yeah that's one thing that was experienced for me as well is like it's not even close to the most common like a guard dialogue honestly i mean i'm not sure which one is the most common but i mean it's varied enough that i couldn't think of it off the top of my head i'm pretty sure i know what the most common one is yeah need something oh yeah i know it's probably that and one thing that i think helps make the world feel so alive is that all of the npcs like they don't just stand in the same spot they all have their own like daily routines oh really i actually did not notice that oh yeah no like all the stores like will close at night and like different npcs will be in go to different parts of the town during the day like it's actually there's a meme about like just waiting outside of an npc's house until it becomes day because you want to buy something from them but their shop isn't open yet oh yeah and if you don't want to waste your (laughs) lockpicks or and don't want to and don't want to accrue a bounty i learned very quickly not to just steal shit yeah learning that you can't just kill all the chickens or just steal whatever you want is a lesson very quickly learned in skyrim what would you so I guess, what's your opinion on the um like the main quest line, which like all the stuff like revolving the dragons and stuff? Like, how have you felt about that so far? I really like it. Yeah. Because the of course I've heard the of course I've heard the terms like Dovahkiin and Dragonborn. Right. Yeah. 
reference to death, but I never really understood what they meant. Yeah. Seeing as how, like, I'm the chosen one who could only kill dragons, per only one who could kill dragons permanently. Yeah. That, I thought that was really interesting. Like, the, how the story was, <laughs> we're trying to kill dragons, but they're not staying dead. Please help. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a very interesting and exciting story to play through. Yeah. Really gave me a lot yeah. of good motivation to stay, keep, keep with the game and stay with it. A lot of people, like, because the thing is it's such a sandbox, a lot of people just completely ignore the main quest past a certain point. But, like, for me, the first time I was playing through, I just felt obligated to complete the main quest before I did any of, like, the side quest stuff. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, but that was also just me. I'm very, like, stuck on completing the main quest before I do other stuff I, when it comes to RPGs like that. See, I'm the opposite because you never know which side quest will give you something that'll make the story quest easier. Right. Yeah, which I I learned very quickly that if you do that in Skyrim, partic in particular, you will be doing quests forever. Yeah, the other thing Skyrim does to get around gamers like you is a lot of encounters scale with your level. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and we granted a lot of loot scales hmm. with your level as well, but there are certain enemies in the world that will be stronger depending on what level you are, specifically to keep you from just steamrolling certain parts of the game because you did too many side quests. Right. 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 Yeah. But then, of that course, the loophole there is that if the loot is leveled, you can just exploit that by waiting until the last possible second to go get it, and then you have a really powerful weapon. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, of course, the question that is still constantly debated among Skyrim fans, do you side with the Imperials or the Stormcloaks? Stormcloaks. You, you side with the Stormcloaks? Yes, I did. Well, I mean, when you say you side with them, like, just in the opening part, or, like... Oh, crap, in the opening part, I, I don't like, remember. Have you considered whether you're going to go do the uh, Civil War um, side subplot yet, or... The Civil War sub... Hmm. Well, I mean, because remember, like, in the beginning of the game, like, you get, like, one of the quests is to go join up with whichever army, army depending on who you yeah. escape with? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah, so, like... One of the faction, um, because you know Skyrim has all the different factions you can join. Like one of the factions right. is literally joining one of the sides of the Civil War and fighting in it. Oh man, if I did, I don't remember because I because yeah, there is a bunch of oh man, that's another thing that I really liked about the game was the yeah. <laughs> temporarily being a werewolf. Although being a vampire got old quick because you couldn't yeah. heal during the daytime. Yeah. Oh, so did yeah. oh yeah. So I guess what uh, factions have you done so far? Then I guess from the sounds of it, you did the uh, companions. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'd, I've looked at werewolves. I've looked at vampires, and yeah. I and yeah, like I said, to the best of my memory, I joined the Stormcloaks. So you side with the vampires instead of the vampire slayers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I also did the quest where we took over Solitude. That's the name of the fort. Yeah, we took over Solitude. Okay. So yeah, you sided with the Stormcloaks. There we go. Okay. Then, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. what made you want to side with the vampires? Because they're hot. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I don't. I'm obviously not trying to like sway your opinion, but for what it's worth, Sor Sorana stays with you whichever side you choose. Oh, okay. Well, even well, regardless. Yeah. Um, I just have to, a more serious answer was that I just saw how shittily, shittily they were being treated. Like you find Sorana literally sealed up in a stone coffin buried under an even bigger stone slab and it's just like right 
how and then oh my god that's probably my favorite conversation in the game where she slowly realizes just how long she's been imprisoned right but so what did you think of like the reason why she was imprisoned what was that again remind me her mother trapped her there to protect her from her father oh yep yep yep, yep. i remember hmm well, obviously, I wasn't there for their disputes, but judging from what her father said, it really was pretty bad, but... Oh, yeah, no, Lord Harkin, Lord Harkin is legitimately the bad guy. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think I've already killed him. I already, I, I got his sword. Well, yeah, no matter which side you choose, you're going to end up killing him. All right, 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 right. But yeah, I, I think that was a bit much for just protecting you from a father. But after, well, it wasn't just protecting her from her father. It's because she was going to be used for the ritual to like blot out the sun. And her mother didn't want her father to take over the world and be an evil vampire overlord. Right, right, exactly. So that's why I could kind of see yeah. both sides, which even, even without that quali- even without that major qualifier, um, where would, well, like, where would she go as a vampire? Because I, I witnessed firsthand how the vampires are treated. Well, yeah, but also you have to remember in Skyrim, it's like yeah. vampires are also generally evil. Like, yeah, yeah, Sarana, you have to remember, like, Serana is also the only good vampire in the game. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. which is why I, I was I breathed a huge sigh of relief when I found the guy who could actually cure the vampirism. Right. Yeah, exactly. But that's like the whole shades of that's the shades of gray thing is like, yes, the vampires are treated horribly. But they're treated horribly because they're bloodthirsty monsters who are legitimately a threat to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think I may have accidentally snitched out that guy because um I was doing I I accidentally picked a dialogue option talking to somebody I can't I can't that's one thing about the problem I have with high fantasy in general there are so many fucking names. Yeah. Well, that's yes. the other thing with Skyrim as well is it's so easy to like fuck people over like. It's mm-hmm. it's honestly, I think it's very difficult to stay a good person in Skyrim because no matter what you do, you're ruining somebody's life. There are very few NPCs in Skyrim that are like legitimately evil people or like just bad people. Right. But yeah, overall, um, it's a very it's a great game. I just oh one minor gripe that I have with it is that I there are some things that I feel like the game could have done a better job explaining. Oh, the game is horrible at explaining mechanics. Oh my god, like, I didn't know I could um, drag dead bodies until re- the most recent quest that I did. I played through the entire main quest before I learned how to use a shield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah, that was a learning curve for me, too. But then I realized you could replace your shield with restorative magics, and here I am. <sighs> but yeah, overall, Skyrim good game it's i have yet to get sick of it and i don't think i ever will yeah so what do you think of its take on high fantasy in general because i mean the genre has been done to death and back again like what do you think of its specific take on like all the different fantasy races and magic and things like that compared to other stuff Hmm. like well what do you mean specifically like what like how it does like like what one thing that i specifically like about it is that aside from the falmer i don't think there are any races in skyrim that are like explicitly the evil race like there's no like lord of the rings orcs in there oh yeah that, that is true like even giants um even though they're an enemy that you could kill they i noticed that they don't attack you until unless you attack them first right and like if yeah. you actually go into their camps like i mean they are just basically farmers they farm mammoths and their cheese like it's they're not raiding villages or the only like legitimately evil things really are like hag ravens or falmer or things like that 
or which I mean, even then, that's like pretty like fairy tale evil mostly. Yeah. One thing that I really like about how it handles the high fantasy thing is that it kind of treats it like a medieval version of the Wild West, where basically right. it's everyone out for their own survival. If you if you travel too long by yourself, you'll run into bandits. Oh yeah, easily the best part of Skyrim is the random encounters like that. Yeah, it's it's a very I guess as grounded as high fantasy could be. Skyrim is very grounded, and it it really portrays it in a way that only a video game can portray high fantasy which you actually get to participate in the the quests and all the you could learn the magic that you see in the movies and then you understand the kind of strategies that go into that come into play when in different types of battles and different encounters and yeah i i think the same types of people who enjoy skyrim end up enjoying dungeons and dragons for the same reason it's because you just experience it in a much more personal way. Like, Lord of the Rings is cool when you get to, like, watch Aragorn get the sword reforged and go fight the forces of Mordor, but it's also so much cooler when you're the one getting the weapon and doing it yourself. Oh my god, right? And even then, I like that it doesn't shy away from Skyrim, uh, doesn't shy away from even the political aspect of high fantasy. Like, that one part where, that one mission where you have to you have to sneak into some royal party, and then I think it's assassinated Oh yeah, with the... Yeah, it's with the uh, freaking Thalmor where you have to go free the prisoner and like find all the information and stuff. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah the, Thal- like... the Thalmor, the one of the only other like unabashedly like evil forces in the game. Right. But and again, like you said, it's it's one thing to read about the different political things and say Game of Thrones, yeah. but to, another thing to actually yeah. participate and to be actually yeah. part of the. It really makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger story, and it right. really succeeds at that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that that's my that's what I had to. If I had to summarize Skyrim, it's and what it does well is that it just makes me feel like part of something bigger than just myself. Even and yeah. speaking as someone who is literally born from a dragon, that's saying something. Yeah. Although the one part of like Skyrim that I feel kind of sets it apart from things like Lord of the Rings specifically is the way where it's kind of like it doesn't always necessarily capture the scale of things I feel like there are times where it gets close like with some of the like city invasions during the Civil War quest line but I mean most of the time it kind of feels like shit in Skyrim only ever gets done if the player does it and then everything else just kind of stands still like Mm, yeah yeah i see what you're saying if you go accept like 20 different quests but then spend all your time on one of them the other 19 quests are still there whenever you want to get around to it because nobody else is going to do anything except for the player because you're the chosen one (laughs) right and like to take lord of the rings for example like it has two or three different like running side plots against each other not to speak of game of thrones where like literally every chapter is from a different character's point of view Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why i like dungeons and dragons as well because depending on who you have as your dungeon master like there's so much potential for like a world that isn't static. I've always liked the idea of like Dungeons and Dragons campaigns where your players are the heroes, but the world doesn't revolve around them. Right, right. Like 90% of shonen anime. <laughs> exactly. Like I always kind of dislike it when main characters in high fantasy are basically shonen protagonists. Like I feel like even Lord of the Rings manages to avoid that because like. Frodo isn't an infallible, like, goddamn superhero. Like, the whole point of his character is that he isn't. Exactly. Exactly. 
mm-hmm. even though the movies kind of try to make Aragorn and Legolas, you know, these badass warrior superheroes, like Final Fantasy is at its best. No, High Fantasy is at its best when fa- the combat isn't the focus of the story. Like, sure, like the magic and magic swords and whatever is cool, but I feel like for me, the best part of High Fantasy is seeing how regular people live in it. Yes, if that makes any sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And I think. Skyrim does do a good job of that because you have NPCs who aren't combatants. They're just regular people and they have regular jobs. They just happen to have regular jobs in a world where dragons and shit exist. Yeah, and that's another thing. That the first time that I saw one of those again, I forget their name, the lizard the lizard people uh just yeah. sweeping the floor of their of the bar that they own. It, it yeah. was kind of jarring to me because you would expect that to be that character design to be like an enemy or something. But right, but they're just, just a regular person just, who yeah yeah just just taking care of their bar you know yeah. mm-hmm. still got to pay your gold though but otherwise i'll visit your family family's farm and more in wherever it is and burn it there are no good 100 percent good people in skyrim there really aren't mm-hmm. so what about what were some of your experiences with skyrim god man so you have to keep in mind when I was playing Skyrim for the first time, I was like 15, so I had no idea what I was doing. So like, this <laughs> oh, isn't man. even an experience with the game itself. This is just, so Skyrim was the first PC game I ever played. Like, I didn't know what Steam was. I had to download Steam so that I could play Skyrim. Oh, Because wow, I got okay. it for Christmas. Hmm. And so, yeah. So right. probably the biggest issue was that I didn't have a mouse for my laptop. So I played through like 90% of my first run of Skyrim using the fucking mouse pad on my laptop. Oh, ouch yeah no so it took me a while to figure out the whole peripheral vision thing for one Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and then it's like i think my my favorite part of playing skyrim the first time around is just the fact that i never used fast travel like it feels like so much more of an adventure when you have to walk everywhere and you have to experience everything that's happening on the road as you go from place to place right 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 and like I got lost all the goddamn time, but I mean, I loved it because there was always something to do wherever you were going and you would find all these little like camps or caves or like whatever just scattered throughout the wilderness. You know, I love the way that it makes like, you know, day-to-day stuff matter to your character, like learning to like use the forge and like upping your smithing skills so you can make new weapons and armor or like, you know, using the cooking stuff to like make new potions or food or whatever to help you. And I just loved, like, you know, like you said, feeling like I was actually, like, driving change in the world by completing quests and, like, seeing the way quests would change things around me. Like, NPCs that would act differently or disappear depending on a quest you completed. Or, like, you know, like the Golden Claw quest. Like, the Golden Claw is just on the desk in front of you for the rest of the game after you complete that quest. Like, I just love stuff like that. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I was so proud of myself for uh, figuring out that Golden Claw puzzle on my own. Oh, yeah, no, because my brother and I were laughing at you after I told him that your brother almost had to Google the answer to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. no. And then I suggested to him, just read the thing that you took off the guy's corpse. Yeah. Also, like, and like I was joking, it was like, man, if the Golden Claw was difficult, I can't wait to see what happens when they get to the Dwemer ruins. Dwemer ruins. The, the Dwarven ruins, like the steampunk shit. Oh, that! Oh my god! Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the steam. That that was kind of jarring though to see the steampunk shit just come. That, that seems to like come right out of nowhere. I don't know if that. I don't know if you've experienced that the same way, but. 
Oh no, it's definitely a change in tone, but I kind of like the idea. I will, I'm a sucker for like lost civilizations in any kind of high fantasy stuff. And so like I, I enjoyed that immensely and I just really like steampunk aesthetic anyway. Oh yeah, same. Yeah, like I'm kind of a late adopter of it. Like I had to get all the way through high school to decide, oh wait, no, this shit is pretty tight. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah. That's like one thing that I think is makes Skyrim so interesting and why I like th- things like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and Skyrim and Dungeons and Dragons is like I'm just a su- it's because I'm a history buff in real life I'm just a sucker for lore so like being able to learn about history of everything and that's what I love about Skyrim is just that there are so many books in the game like every single like book you pick up off the ground is like a fucking full written book it's insane yeah it, it, it kind of makes me ashamed that I'm skipping out on a lot of it because someone put effort to make that thing and I'm just skipping it <laughs> but there's also just so goddamn much of it like no one can really realistically expect you to go through all of it right exactly yeah and like with things like Lord of the rings and game of thrones i love that like the world exists both before and after the story like it's just a chapter in the world's history right right and then if you get the dlc there are even more worlds exactly and i think i've told you this already but like with game of thrones like the actual like story of like a song of ice and fire isn't even the most interesting part of it to me like i like it but, like, just the whole world that of, like, Westeros and Essos and the world the story takes place in and the history of it, I just enjoy so much. There's so many... Because, like, George R. R. Martin has just re- created so many interesting characters and events in the history. And even though I'll freely admit that a lot of Game of Thrones lore is just European history with dragons, like, I'm a sucker for that shit. I love it. Because what situation isn't improved by dragons? Exactly. I mean, and then you have Lord of the Rings, which, I mean... J.R.R. Tolkien, Mr. Silmarillion himself, like, yes, the man mm-hmm. invented like a million conlangs and then d- it decided he had to write a story to use all of them in. So he reinvented <laughs> an entire genre. And it's uh, so funny that you were mentioning war because he's actually a veteran of one of the deadliest battles in World War One, isn't he? Oh, yeah. No, he's a was it the Somme? Battle of the Somme? I think the first battle of the Somme. Yeah. Not only was it one of the first battles where tanks were used in World War One, but I think it was literally had the highest casualty count of any battle until like near the end of world war two. Like the kill count was in the millions. He had, had a lot to draw from for the, the struggle from, is it middle, middle earth is Lord of the Rings, right? Yes. Yeah. Middle earth. Yeah. The struggle from, <laughs> he had a lot to pull from for the struggle of middle earth. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we've talked about like what you like in um, high fantasy in general, but there's one specific thing that recurs a lot in high fantasy that I dislike that I want to get your thoughts on, though I have a feeling you'll agree. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, what is it? it it's you know, Well, it's something I can talk to you a little bit better about now since you've actually played Dungeons & Dragons now, but, like, in general, like, with moral alignments and stuff, like, just in general, I really dislike it, and I dislike the implications of there being one or two races that are the designated evil races. Oh my god, yeah. I'm just not a fan of the implications of an entire race of sentient beings being there explicitly, like, to be evil. To be the villain, right? Yeah, and, and honestly, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And the reason I bring this up is because, for one thing, I feel like that's something Skyrim mostly does a good job avoiding, but also that's something that, like, Tolkien himself struggled with a lot, because, you know, it's no surprise to anybody, Tolkien was a very devout Catholic, and so initially in order to justify his heroes having to, like, kill a bunch in battles, he created the orcs to be, you know, cannon fodder, essentially. But then he felt bad about having an entire race of people just there to be killed because as a Catholic, he had to believe that they had souls and it was wrong to kill them all anyway. And that's where he started trying to come up with all the different possible backstories for orcs, like, were they corrupted elves? Were they something else? And all of these things. Then you have Dungeons & Dragons, which is why, you know, 
one of my issues Dungeons and Dragons, you have races like orcs and goblins and things like these were like, you know, it said, yeah, by default, they're usually like chaotic evil or something, but they're a player character, they can be something else. Like, and then also, like, you know, with so many of these races, they are evil specifically because like some god or dark force or something has like been influencing the race and crafted them into something evil. Like, I'm just never a fan of those kinds of things. And that's why I really like, you know, the Eberron setting in um, Dungeons and Dragons, because one of the main core tenets of the setting is that moral alignment is not tied to race or religion which you know nice yeah and you know i guess part of it is that you know so in a setting like game of thrones you can almost entirely avoid any you know implications like that when everybody is a human but i mean then you're dealing with questions of diversity which is a whole different thing which we oh my god talked about before i mean high fantasy for as much as we love it is a very eurocentric in its folklore and aesthetics and as a result looks very european in basically every sense of the word (laughs) right you look at lord of the rings as much as i love it there are i think only two or three prominent female characters in the entire series and everybody is white yeah exactly that's gonna be my follow-up is that there's not a single person of color in there (laughs) but there are trees i mean yeah, I guess that's great representation for trees. Yeah, for Greenpeace. Greenpeace yeah. approves. Yeah. Did you know that Tree Baird in Lord of the Rings is based off of C.S. Lewis? I did not. Wow. The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe guy, right? Yep. Yeah, because hmm. well, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were super close friends in real life, so they included tons of references to each other in their stories, both as like just throwing shade at each other and like as loving tributes like Shrebeard was Tolkien throwing shade at C.S. Lewis like the character he chose to base off of Lewis was the character that takes fucking forever to get to the point and speaks really slowly <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's the kind of shade that only best friends can throw at each other exactly oh yeah <laughs> trees providing shade yeah or like the line which in the wardrobe the scene where Santa Claus shows up Lewis specifically included that scene in there because it annoyed Tolkien that he was doing it <laughs> yeah like the, the fucking lamp post was there specifically because at one point tolkien told lewis it didn't make any sense for him to just put a lamp post there and not explain how it got there oh my god like i love that tolkien would have written like an entire like sub novella explaining how that lamp post got there and the history of the lamp posts like forefathers and lewis is like no nope, <laughs> that's there now <laughs> and th- that's a thing and as much as i love narnia i mean I have my own issues with it, which I mean, I'm not going to get into this because that's honestly its own episode. But again, like I think Narnia is probably like, like I would compare Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe specifically to Skyrim in terms of how well it captures like what I think is the whole point of high fantasy. Like, I mean, it's basically an isekai, like in a good sense. It really is just plucking people out of their out of like the humdrum of their lives and letting them be heroes for a day and they they even end up being kings and queens right and i think especially for language and wardrobe that's so poignant that it does that because you know with the context of the story taking place during the london air raid yeah yeah (laughs) and i think with high fantasy as well like it always i think has to toe a fine line between things being way over the top magical like slaying dragons crazy shit and just like just straight up just medieval fiction medieval fantasy right right i think though the parts where the the really clear distinction between the two is just how strong the characters are right yeah like 
it's it's like Game of Thrones you have obviously on the far lower end of the spectrum where like, you know, you have your standard like basically rank and file foot soldiers and you have a pretty giant jump in power to the people who literally control dragons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean and then Lord of the Rings, everybody is more or less on the same level in terms of skill. Um what do you mean by everyone? Well when I say everyone, I mean it's like across the main characters and the people involved in the main story. Like you have your commoners, then you have your soldiers. And then you have your main characters who are, you know, the main characters, but they're not like super powerful by a margin that makes everybody else around them look completely useless. Except for Legolas, who does nothing but roll nat 20s with the world's most lenient, lenient dungeon master. Oh my god, right? Yeah. I still... Well, one of the defining moments of, of my childhood was seeing him slide down the stairs on during the... There was Helm's Deep battle? Helm's Deep, yeah. God damn Yeah, on that fucking shield? Yes, on the right? shield. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite description of the Lord of the Rings movies versus books is that it's like all you need to know about George Tolkien, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's writing style is that the entirety of Helm's Deep in the movies was basically completely made up by Peter Jackson. But the what's Tater's precious scene between Sam and Gollum was taken almost verbatim from the books. Hmm. The power of adaptation. Right. Which, you know what, since we're on the topic, let's just settle it right now. Which is better books or movie for for um lord of the rings oh god i gotta go with the movies me too here's the thing I, I just don't like tolkien's writing style like he created a great world great characters but here's the thing there's no reason to spend two and a half pages describing the fucking forest when you can just do one panning shot of new zealand and call it a day right yes and that's that's yeah. my point exactly is this exactly. oh my god I could never get. I remember I tried reading uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Oh yeah. Oh my God. This the the whole history of hobbits uh, just put me to sleep. Like dear God. Like I understand you have to build your world and stuff, but come on, man. I read Fellowship, retained none of it. Tried reading Two Towers, got halfway through, realized that by getting halfway through, I still probably had the rest of my life's worth of reading to do, and said, "Fuck it." <laughs> Like, I will, my big, like, this is my go-to example for why Tolkien's writing style ignores me. There's a scene in Fellowship where they're, like, as they're entering the forest, whose name I can't fucking remember, like, they're, there's, there's, they reach this place where, like, a bunch of, like, rocks and stuff surround them, and Legolas is like, ah, oh, these rocks mark the ruins of a great race of elves, and Frodo's like, well, tell us a story about them, and Legolas sings a fucking story about the elves that's, like, half a page, and then Frodo says, well, that was beautiful, what happened to the elves, and Legolas is just like, I don't know. And then they go in the forest, and that's never mentioned again. It's just world building for the sake of world building, but you're building the world without building the story. And that's why I like the movies, is because it's the movies and all the good parts of the world building with just the clutter cut out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it helps that the movies were still well made. Like, even if they weren't adaptations, they will. The that... movie was still three hours long without counting the extended edition runtime. What more do you fucking want? exactly yeah yeah and speaking of the movies uh can we just talk about how well of course problems with diversity aside can we just talk about how perfectly cast every the actors they went with were yeah like i think lord of the rings is one of the few movies where like when people talk about issues they have with the adaptation casting almost never comes up <laughs> right like i don't think anybody has any complaints with the casting in lord of the rings yeah yeah and, and if they do we don't associate with them yeah i mean for the record we are only talking about the lord of the rings trilogy we're not talking about the hobbit there's nothing to talk about with the hobbit there is absolutely nothing to talk about with the hobbit nothing yeah. i mean it's... there is but that alone could be its own episode 
just me like you wouldn't even need to come in for that i could just rant about how much the hobbit movies pissed me off yeah did you see all of them or just one of them oh i saw all of them in theaters oh my god i only saw desolation of smaug like literally if you only watch desolation of smaug and then the first 15 minutes of battle of five armies that's all you need to watch wow okay in my opinion anyway well actually no i would say unexpected journey i think is a legitimately good movie my biggest issue with unexpected journey is i went in without realizing they'd split it into a trilogy i thought they'd split it into two movies so i was really disappointed when because the ending just feels really anticlimactic right right yeah because well okay i guess we are talking about this i'll just say this the my problem with unexpected journey is that that's the movie that changes the least from the books so because of the way the pacing works it doesn't feel like it's reached the end when the movie actually ends oh yeah 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 i, th- yeah. I know what you're ta- i haven't seen the first movie but i know what you're talking about yeah yeah and that's all i'll say about that for now while we're talking about high fantasy i think it's worth bringing up that on thursday we're going to wrap up our first D mini campaign and we're going to start to the session zero stuff for our main campaign that we're going to run in eberron and i am unbelievably hyped for that oh my god and yeah me too honestly because it seems like like the eberron it's you said it's like a film it's more like a noir aesthetic right yeah it's pulp noir like magic punk post-war setting it's fucking amazing and like oh the thing god. i love about it is that there's so much room for intrigue in it because like there are so many people who just have hidden like motives and shit that it's like mm-hmm. like you're talking about how like there are no truly good people in skyrim trying to be a truly good person in eberron is only slightly less dangerous than trying to be a truly good person in game of thrones like you will get fucked over by everybody around you like i actually got a chance to uh, b- before the covid19 lockdown i got to yeah. look through my uh, my local bookstore and i actually found the the player's manual for eberron oh yeah you mentioned that yeah that yeah the backstories that i saw there were just things like like even these are just the preset ones it's uh oh, yeah you failed to, you failed to save a friend during the great war and you haven't seen them since you owe money to some bad people and they're and they're coming to collect otherwise they'll yeah. kill, they'll destroy everything you love and so it's like geez right do you need like a soda or something <laughs> you want a beer yeah, no, it's Eberron is good. Yeah. And like the thing that like is the biggest struggle for me as a dungeon master is that this may come as a surprise to you, but generally whenever I'm excited about something, you're the person I talk to about it. And I cannot talk really? about any of my dungeon master shit because you have to experience that as a player. Yeah, of course. And I am yes, yes. trying so hard not to show preference towards you over the other two players just because you're my cousin. But like right. <laughs> I just Ah, Thursday cannot get here faster enough. Oh my god, right. Oh, I'm so excited. But while we're yeah. waiting for that, how about So, this uh, this campaign that we ran was um my very first time playing D&D. Yeah. Which, and honestly, it you want to talk about things that live up to the hype? D&D <laughs> definitely lived up to the hype. Like it's exactly as fun as I imagined it being from all the memes and all the shit posts like and for those oh i guess i should describe who i who i chose to play as um no, hold on a second i'm just marking off my self-validation quota for the week right here let me just all right yeah go don't ahead mind me. D- d- let me know when you're done yeah uh, let me know when yeah. you're done i don't right, want to interrupt ahead, yeah. you oh, yeah, no, no, got it. go ahead go ahead no tell me more about how much right. fun i made your first run of Dungeons and dragons oh my god yes yeah. so um i Creative. The, honestly, the most, of course, the most tedious part is always character creation. But that once, well, it's fun, it's, but the numbers are tedious. But creating the character is fun. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nu- yeah, the number that, that I'm glad that you made that clarification. Yeah. yeah. But now do you understand the thing I said to you once at Dungeons and Dragons is just math disguised as Skyrim? Yes, yes. I saw and just so happened I saw that meme today. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I decided to play as the chaotic good gnome Gimbal Timbers. I did not come up with Gimbal Timbers on my own because I'm I could barely memorize, as you just heard, names in Skyrim or Lord of the Rings. So I just went with one of the preset ones. There's no shame in that. Yeah, 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 Yeah. exactly. Like even even the instruct the player's manual itself of D&D says "Eh, this is more of a guideline than really rules. If this makes you feel any better, you put literally the exact amount of thought into your first character as most of the cast of Critical Role did with their first characters. Oh, okay, that actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. No, but like if you want me to tell you exactly how much effort they put into their characters, like the campaign was their first campaign was initially meant to be a one shot that they enjoyed so much it became a full campaign. So to give you an idea, so like one of the characters, Keyleth, she literally chose one of the default names from the book like you did for Gimbal. Mm, okay. Yeah, the other character, uh Scanlan Shorthalt, like the Voice actor who played him, Sam Regal, admitted during a Q&A that he used a random fantasy name generator to come up with his character's name and just went <laughs> with one that was alliteration. Wow, hey. Yeah. And then Liam O'Brien, who a lot of people know as Illidan from War- World of Warcraft, literally named his character Vaxildon. Like, he literally just named his character in reference to another character that he played. Oh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Draw from whatever pool you can. Yeah, and Travis Willingham showed up for the first session not realizing that he needed to name his character because he didn't really get the whole role-playing part. So when Matt Mercer asked him, so what's your name? He's like, uh, Frog? The Barbarian? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so yeah, no, you should not feel bad about the fact that you... Please tell you what? Oh, please tell me he he kept the name Frog. No, Grog. Oh, Grog. Oh, okay. I yeah, you, I yeah no, his character's name is literally Grog Strongjaw. <laughs> which literally led to one of the funniest scenes in the series so far, I think, when you find out that his father's name is Stonejaw Strongjaw. Wow. Yeah, so okay. my point is, you should not feel bad about the fact that you named your first character Gimbal Timbers. <laughs> okay. Yes, that is great. Uh, so, should we just talk about some highlights from this, from the campaign yeah. that we ran? Yeah, so for context, I ran them through the uh, starter campaign from the starter set, since it was my first time DMing, and most of the players, it was their, I think for all the players, it was their first time with 5e. I only had one player who had done a tabletop before that. Right, yeah, so, so group. Actually, you go ahead and talk about your favorite moments. It's hard for me to talk about mine without talking about background stuff. But you just talk about stuff that you thought was great. Okay, so the first one that comes to mind, and you're, of course you're going to know what I'm referring to by this, but right. the, the origin of the Chosen One. Oh, yeah. No, yes. actually, okay. can I tell this one then? Since, I mean... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I exactly. did kind of do this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so basically, they were in um, Kragmaw Castle, and they were in like a narrow hallway fighting a bunch of goblins. And there's this one goddamn goblin, and I think literally like an entire round and a half of combat, nothing could hit him. You guys did not roll a thing above a 10 to hit him yeah exactly and, and just like, to yeah just to paint a, a clearer picture here we had caltrops in front of the door but uh, and yeah. we're, we're prepared to weaken them as they came in this freaking goblin what did he do yeah i think he actually like well because the goblin in front of him actually landed on the caltrops so he just stayed back and was just firing at you guys with his bow and arrow but um yeah so what happened with him is he missed so many attacks and this was literally just me off the cuff like i came up with this on the spot there was 
is like literally he literally was hit, missed so many attacks he was like oh my god i'm still alive this must be a sign from above i knew i was destined for greater things than this so long suckers and i had him literally just drop his weapons and run out the front door into the forest yelling i'm the chosen one and we all died laughing yes yes yeah <laughs> and and yeah. we ended up killing the rest of the goblins and then fast forward to one week later in our campaign where we're coming back from retrieving some kind of artifact from a banshee, I think it was. Yeah, and so like there was this orc camp on the side, like some side quest that they weren't going to do. So as they were walking down the road, I had a bunch of like injured, terrified looking orcs run out of the forest. So like, run, it's a monster, it's killed all of us, run! And coming out of the forest was the Chosen One, now suited up entirely in plate mail, riding an owl bear, chasing down the orcs like yelling at the top of his lungs. So basically the chosen one is now a badass goblin warrior that is 100% going to be a recurring NPC in any campaign that I run. All right. Yes, I love it. Oh my god. And um yeah. man, I can't believe Let's talk about the one that I missed, um which was our the very first camp, the very first session that you oh, yeah. that you ran. You, you know exactly which part I would. Yeah. So I will preface this by saying this. Our bard, um who goes by the name of Unknown Hammond, um if you've listened to more than one episode of our podcast, first of all, bless you. Second of all, he was on our con stories episode as Unknown Rivers. We have nicknamed Unknown Hammond the Puppeteer because he has a habit of using the corpses of his enemies as ventriloquist dummies in order to confuse and trick his enemies. He has done this multiple times. I will tell you the story of the first time he did this. Immediately after their first combat encounter, they were going to the go- the goblin uh, hideout to find the NPC who had been kidnapped, because MacGuffins. And as they're leaving, he says, hey, can I grab one of the goblin corpses uh, just for later? And in my head, I'm thinking, like, a goblin corpse for later? What the hell? We've been playing for, like, ten minutes. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. It's smaller than you, so you can carry it without any penalty. And so he carries it along, and then they... They're hiding in the bushes outside of the goblin hideout, and there are two goblins standing guard. And he says, okay, give me the goblin corpse. And he says he uses the goblin corpse as a puppet and says in a fake goblin voice to the um, goblin guards, and like, hey, boss said you guys got the day off and to uh, go jump in the lake. And so I had him roll deception, and he rolled a seven. So I figured, okay, well, I'll have the goblins roll insight anyway, but this is probably going to lead to rolling initiative. Both goblins rolled nat ones on their insight, so... They totally bought it and jumped into the river, and I decided at that point that goblins can't swim. So that's how he took care of the guards. Mm-hmm. And then in our actually most recent, one of our most recent uh, sessions, he tricked a bunch of bugbears. At this point, they were like level four, so he had second level spells. So he turned himself invisible, picked up two skulls, and like waved them around in the air, pretended to be an evil spirit. And because bugbears are idiots, he scared them away. Like, not only did he scare them away, but he actually persuaded them to go and go off on a suicide mission basically to fight off the remaining ghouls that were in the cave that we were in oh yeah yeah and so what i'm saying is he's done this multiple times before and i have a horrible feeling that he is going to do it again someday like i would say a horrible feeling i mean as a dm i'm just like know that i'm gonna have to deal with that and it's gonna be absolutely amazing yes absolutely man and what were some other ones oh oh my god what were some moments where we said something and because me and unknown Hammond in our wonderful bright eyed and bushy tailed ignorance that just made you as the DM just kind of 
snicker or smile knowing grin knowingly like I, oh, and there have been so many times where you just walk have just walked into situations perfectly like as i've set them up and i just have to grin like i'm so glad we do these games virtually because i have no poker face but like yeah so the most recent setting i mean the most, most recent session we did um you guys had committed a rookie dnd mistake and split the party and you and hammond had gone ahead and sneaking and you saw a flame skull in the room and you two figured yeah we can take him for anybody who hasn't played the starter set, you'll understand why that was a horrible idea when I explained that the Flame Skull knows Fireball. So, yeah, that was a horrible idea, and they learned their lesson. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Another favorite yeah, um, moment of mine, um, just in general for like the way that you guys are just so creative with stuff, is that this time it was in the um, Red Brand hideout where you guys used a combination of minor illusion and just some really good persuasion roles to lure the guards out of the prison room and ambush them so that you could fight them without risking the lives of the prisoners. That was great. Oh yeah, you said without risking the life of the prisoners, and um, yeah. that, that reminded me of our good friend Droop. Tell us about Droop. Yeah, Droop is a goblin in The Lost Minds of Phandelver who the party initially finds him getting bullied by a bunch of bugbears, and if they rescue him, he can become a good friend and ally for them, despite not being the brightest knife in the tool shed. Right, exactly. And that was the when we first met him, that was one of the first instances that I was kind of concerned about unknown Hammond and his alignment. Oh yeah, no, so ha Hammond's chaotic good, but like he was convinced that the way to go was to like trick the bugbears into killing the goblin. And like I was trying so hard to convey to him that the goblin wasn't a threat in this scenario, but like he was convinced that that was the way to go. Yeah, and yeah. Bit, luckily <laughs> I was I was there too just to kind of like reel them in because it's yeah. funny because I was as Gimbal Timbros I was playing the straight man but I felt like even out of character I was still the straight man having to reel in the party whenever the shit started to go off the rails yeah <laughs> yeah I think there have only been two times really where I had to like basically break character and just as the DM discourage you guys from doing something or tell you no the first time, which was when you guys planned was to steal red brand outfits and like somehow convince the orcs and the red brands to take each other out. And I had to like pull up the map and explain that those two locations were like two days apart and that just wasn't really practical. And the other time where you guys at a level immediately after hitting level four wanted to buy plus two weapons and I had to shoot that down immediately. <laughs> what, why? What would have happened if we had the plus two weapons again? You would be overpowered as fuck. I mean, the fact that I gave you guys right. even two plus one weapons before you hit level five is overpowered as shit. Because, I mean, for one right. thing, AC doesn't scale at all in 5e. So, like, Sir Grood's AC, like, as a paladin in heavy armor, he has, like, what, 16? Like, just with the chain mail, just from character creation? Like, when he gets plate mail, his AC will probably be around something like 20. And, like, that's probably what his AC will be for the rest of the game unless he gets magic armor. But, like, that's the thing. Like, there are CR 17, 18 enemies whose AC is, like, 20 and 21. So even a plus one to your chance to hit an opponent and do more damage is a huge thing. These are the kind of things we have to think about in D&D. Yep. And the other thing is, you could totally edit all this out if I'm going on a tangent. But the other thing is, they're magic weapons. Which means there are a lot of enemies where you just bypass the resistances because a lot of enemies have resistance to non-magical weapons. But if I give you magical weapons, you know, that's the thing. It's not just upgrading to stronger armor you're like literally getting a magic weapon and you know i i play in a campaign where the dm is very generous with magic weapons and i've seen how badly that can fuck up the game balance so i'm trying to avoid that 
I will say, though, part of the reason I'm excited for Eberron is because it's a very, like, wide magic setting, so I can be a little bit more lenient with the fun shit I give you guys. Like, I'll say right now, I cannot wait to see the stupid shit you guys do with the Bag of Holding. What does the Bag of Holding do again? You know Hermione's bag in Harry Potter where it's bigger on the inside? Oh, okay. It, it's that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little pocket satchel that can hold up to 500 pounds of items in it because it's basically its own demi-plane. And oh my god, um, I, you just reminded me of uh, there was another more subtle moment where it was a good thing that we were doing this virtually because the well, because you had no poker face was of uh, there was one time we were exploring the ruins of a castle and we we knocked on a we were well we were expecting a door to see what was on the other side of it and oh yeah given that our that our pet wolf applesauce did not like what she sensed on the other side of the wall the unknown um hammond says with best we not poke the bear on this one so now black belt uh explain why that was so funny yeah well he said let's not poke the bear and like because they ended up never going into this room i just told them after the session that there was an owl bear behind that door and that was even funnier to me because like at the end of the previous session like one of our other players sort of rude like because he's a DD veteran like he knows all like the classic monsters and stuff and so like he said, oh man, I can't wait for you guys to see an owl bear for the first time. Then it happened literally the week after. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. Man. But owl bears are also my favorite D&D monster ever just because they're just so goddamn cool. They do look amazing. Yeah. And let's not forget the best character ever in the campaign, our little pal Mustache. Oh yeah, no, our bard literally improvises entire like dialogues as his um little pet chinchilla who does absurd session recaps for us. Yes, he's our he is our resident record keeper, and he actually came in very handy for our final battle. Oh yeah, no. So for our final battle, I let you guys go back and fight Venom Fang, which I mean. And what I did is I knew it was going to be a tough battle, so I had um, on the side an NPC ready to come in and throw out a healing spell when you guys needed it. But the way it played out is you guys gave a very emotional thing to, like, if we don't come back, Mustache should go back to the Druid. And so it ended up playing out that Mustache was the one who went back and got the Druid when you needed his help, and he came back and healed you guys. Yeah, which, again, I swear to God that we weren't doing any private conversations under you guys' noses. I just sort of came up with that oh yeah no it was that was the perfect example of like Dungeons and dragons improvisational storytelling like i couldn't have planned that out better than it happened in the moment i mean i planned like 90 i planned like half of it but i mean the part that made it great like mustache being there that was all you guys yeah i can't wait to see what we do going forward god i oh and gosh, i uh, want to talk to you i want to, I want to so tell much. one more oh yeah you go ahead tell the story yeah okay so yeah i'll tell this one then you'll tell yours yeah. um so I, I just want to tell about <laughs> Unknown Hammond wanting to roll to play Wingman. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So in the in the town that we were staying in, there's this bar called the Sleeping Giant. So naturally, we went one time when we went there to get information, um, for, for full context, Hammond has a running gag where even though I'm a gnome, he keeps calling me a dwarf. So, of course, when he found out that the bartender was a dwarf, he, I imagine he made that face that Chris Pratt made in that one shot from Parks and Re- Recreation. You know, the, you yeah. know the one, the one yeah, where he's yeah. eyes wide open, he's got a smile and his mouth is agape. Yeah. Yeah. He ha- I figured he got that look on his face and started playing wingman for, for me. And I forget what he rolled, but uh, eventually the scenario played out where it was just me and her in the bar alone, uh, alone together. And uh, so just to role play 
I just I just asked her, so uh, how long have you been working here? And then I remember what you said as her, as the bartender. You said, what is this, a job interview? So I, t- I take a couple seconds to think up my response before I say, uh, yeah, actually, um, I have an open position for a wife. This is the part where I think it's good for me to go ahead and point out you have a nine charisma in game. So this was a very good example of you uh, playing to your lack of strengths because you did not roll <laughs> high enough on that persuasion check for that line to work. Right. Yep. It ended up with me getting kicked out of the bar, which I, I kind of got the feeling that you were trying that you were trying and once again, failing to reach Hammond that um, this is a, she's not a romance option. Yeah. Which. Yeah. But hey, speaking of that. Sorry. Um. I saw, yeah, you, you, you go ahead yeah, so and then I'll... I just want to tell a story. This is actually from the campaign where I'm a player right now. For context, I play a rogue warlock multi-class that is completely useless at everything. Like, part of his the reason he's a warlock is because I roll so badly on stealth and sleight of hand that my party has dubbed me the worst thief in existence. So I turn to signing deals with higher, worse powers to try and augment my thief abilities. But anyway... So that was something I'd been working towards with my DM for a while. And so we were in a round of combat with um, two chimeras. And we had a party of like six people. So what happened was at the beginning of the round of combat, me and the barbarian were up in a tree. So basically the two of us were fighting a chimera in the air and the rest of the party was fighting a chimera on the ground. And at this point in the fight, the barbarian had fallen from the tree and was unconscious making death saving throws. And I was still up in the tree and the tree was on fire. So I decide... The only thing I could possibly do at this point, tell the DM, I want to jump from the tree and land on the chimera and stab my sword into its back and hold on. So he asked me to first make an, I don't remember if it was an athletics or an acrobatics jump to like, just see if I could actually make the jump. Rolled high enough on that. Rolled for the attack. The attack hit. And so then the, I end the, hit and I end the round of combat stuck on top of the chimera, which is awesome and terrifying. Because then what the DM does is he has the Chimera fly up as high as his movement can and then make a strength check to shake me off. I fail the strength check because I'm a fucking rogue. My character falls 90 feet and dies from fall damage. And then the being that I would end up signing my um, Warlock Pact with brings me back to life. So that's how I became a Fiend Warlock by dying immediately after the only cool thing I have done in the entire campaign to date. Uh, story of our lives. Right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah. honestly like i just i even just want to ask you tiny questions about like the stuff i have in mind for the eberron campaign but i feel like it's almost rude to do that to you and not to other players yeah yeah save it for when we have it is and i like i i know that it is but it's just it's like waiting for it's like waiting to give somebody a present on christmas that you know they're going to like like you don't want to wait oh my god yeah Right. Because, like, yeah, I completely understand. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you why I'm excited. It, it's because I wrote up campaign hooks to read to you guys. Because I'm gonna have multiple campaign hooks for you guys to choose from based off what kind of campaign you guys want. And I mean, like, this is some. I think it's some of the best writing I've done. So you understand now why I'm excited to read it to you guys. Like, I in- very intentionally tried to emulate like the little like campaign hooks that are on the back of the official Dungeons and Dragons um guides. Except for one, which I went in a completely different direction with, but I still think it works. Oh yeah, trust me, I have really, I have very strong faith in your writing abilities because um, even some of the little things that we did during our campaigns, like the way you would describe uh, misses or not ones during our campaign, they weren't, they were believable and 
very well worded. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's why I'm so excited. Honestly, like, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of glad that right now there's very little reason for anybody to miss a session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's the best way of putting it. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, one thing that I did want to, and I only thought about this, um, as I was finishing up my previous story was uh because I am a I am a gnome and the whole running gag of of unknown Hammond well it started off mistakenly but then he started doing it on purpose right. that's in story yeah and I want to describe the incident that made him finally made him respect me enough to call me a gnome oh yeah go ahead it was it was when we had finally beaten what was it? the black spider yeah. right so. For context, I played Gimbal as a ranger, and for those who don't know, rangers have these. Okay, was it the diff... is it a spell or a cantrip? But which one is Hunter's Mark? The spell Hunter's Mark and... is a spell. Yeah, they have this spell called Hunter's Mark, which if you mark it up, if you mark your target, you basically get extra damage yeah. to add it to whatever attack that hits. And Colossus Slayer is the cantrip, right? Colossus Slayer is just a class feat. Oh yes, which Colossus Slayer, which can be stacked on top of Hunter's Mark, which allows for even more damage on any attack that hits. I had the Black Spider both Hunter's Marked, and I had a Colossus Slayer. So after I, after I rolled my hit, my wonderful DM just said the magic words. Yeah, this is one of the few times in the uh, campaign where instead of just narrating the kill, I just said, in the words of Matthew Mercer, how do you want to do this? And... How did I do it? Yeah, you stabbed your sword into his middle of his chest and just dragged it down and basically split him down the middle from the neck down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the extra flavor that I added was the fact that, like, as you were dragging him down, you brought him down to his knees so you could look him in the eye as you kept doing it. <laughs> yes. Had to get a high joke in there somehow because I'm only, like, two feet tall. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah, probably closer to, like, three or four feet tall, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> But yay, they only called me Gnome from that time onward. Yep. <laughs> and of course, the reason I'm super excited for our next campaign to start is we're going to be adding two more players to the party, hopefully. Yes, two more first-time players, one of whom already has a sketch for her character ready. Right, which I mean... Which is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, just lots to look forward to. Yep, 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 yep. Do you want to talk anything more about uh, Game of Thrones, or do you think we've kind of explained everything we've talked about everything we could all i'll say about game of thrones is all power to tweet i saw earlier today which is it says a lot that we're all stuck inside for the foreseeable future and nobody is re-watching game of thrones yeesh yeah although i will say that i want to try and read more high fantasy like i want to go back and read like some more classic stuff like brandon sanderson's writings like mistborn or like i want to read wheel of time or like read name of the wind like i want to go back and read some more like classic fantasy books that i never got around to because i love this stuff i feel like i should probably be reading that stuff right exactly and yeah. um ever since i started getting into neil gaiman's books and honestly i have the book uh neverwhere uh, sitting on my shelf right now and that is honestly one of the one of my favorite books ever because yeah. and it's really making me want to get into more fantasy which um on my to read list is actually a book called i think it's called empire of sand by tasha suri Hmm, it's yeah. a basically a fantasy novel that centers brown people nice yeah <laughs> yeah once we're allowed to leave our houses again i might have to borrow that from you no i don't have it yet oh you don't oh no well let's be real i'll probably end up borrowing it from you eventually so you'll probably get it before i do right yeah because gotta put my books a million membership to good use right yeah 
And that's where we decided to cut it off. And thanks once again for listening. Please be sure to check out our earlier episodes if you haven't already. And hey, if you have any suggestions for any other high fantasy readings that we should check out, feel free to leave them in the comments. And most of all, remember to keep practicing social distancing, and we will see you next time.